a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michelle Vandenberg. Coming up on the program. Steady recovery. Official data released on Friday shows that China's economy maintained momentum in November, driven by surging output and consumer spending. Property matters. China eases home buying criteria further, with new measures extending to cities such as Beijing and Shanghai. Rate factor. European Central Bank holds key interest rates steady as inflation eases in recent months. Official data released on Friday shows China's economy maintained a steady recovery in November with increased output and consumer spending. Zheng Chunying has more from Beijing. China's National Bureau of Statistics says industrial production improved in November, expanding 6.6 percent from a year earlier, up from a 2 percent increase in July. In terms of sectors, the value added in mining increased by 3.9 percent year-on-year. Manufacturing went up by 6.7 percent. The production and supply of electricity, thermal power, gas and water grew by 9.9 percent. Retail sales, a key metric for domestic consumption, rose by 10.1 percent in November year-on-year, up from the 7.6 percent growth in October. And the property sector faces a range of challenges, with real estate investment falling by 9.4 percent in the first 11 months compared with a year earlier. But officials say they are positive about the sector's outlook in the coming year. With more support policies implemented, we have already witnessed signs of improvement in the property sector. Next, we will continue to expedite the development of a new real estate model, and we are confident the housing sector will be stabilized in the near future. Officials also say imports and exports saw a 1.2 percent increase year-on-year in November, up by 0.3 percentage points compared to the previous month. And China continues to implement measures designed to improve the country's trade structure. Official data shows November saw fast growth in high-tech investment, and employment remained generally stable. Officials also say that China's economy still faces some challenges, including insufficient demand, overcapacity in certain industries, as well as the complicated international political and economic situation. But they said that they are confident that these will be addressed through the implementation of more effective measures following the general principle of the Central Economic Work Conference held this week. Zheng Chunying, CGTN, Beijing. China has made a commitment to boost domestic demand and strengthen the economic recovery in the coming year. During the annual Central Economic Work Conference, China emphasized the need to increase efforts in stimulating consumption and expanding productive investment. The conference highlighted the significance of consumption in digital, green, and health sectors, while also identifying new growth areas such as consumption of smart home appliances and increased spending on entertainment, tourism, sports events, and the consumption of new energy vehicles and electronic products. Local governments have also implemented various measures to boost consumption. During the first three quarters, consumption expenditure accounted for over 80 percent of the country's economic growth. The Central Economic Work Conference has outlined a set of nine key priorities for China's development in the upcoming year. One of these priorities is the expansion of high-level opening up, which is expected to create new opportunities for companies worldwide. As we move into 2024, investing in China will once again prove to be an investment in the future. 
In line with this, we're launching a new series called Invest China. In today's episode, we shine the spotlight on Pernod Ricard, a renowned producer of wine and whiskey, as they announce a significant new investment in China. Pernodica already has many distilleries around the world, so why do we choose to establish another one in China? Especially, it is not simply a new distillery, but a grand project combining both whiskey production and tourism. We have approximately 20 distilleries, mainly in Europe and in North America, been operating here in China for、um, more than 30 years. We came up with this bold idea: why not invest and leverage our expertise in whiskey making and Making a, a Chinese-style whiskey initially was just a pure idea, and we have great pride today、uh, to open this distillery. I think that、um, what you'll see here with the DH1 is—it's、uh, a destination、uh, in a terroir which is beautiful, and、uh, the whole design has been made to be part of nature, and、uh, the style of the whiskey. Comes from、uh, the surrounding nature as well,、mm -hmm. starting with the water, the environment,、uh, etc. So、um, yes, I mean it's it's a whole experience, and for those who are lucky enough to come here,、uh, we're we're literally sharing an experience which goes beyond just the product itself,、mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of it. I believe that the future of、uh, whiskey making, and you could enlarge this to spirits globally. And Bechnohiga will invest one billion yuan for this project in ten years from 2019. So, how will the operation of this new distillery support the high-quality development of Chinese market, and how will it affect the global market? Number one,、uh, it, it is one、uh, billion、uh, Chinese yuan over a decade,、uh, and that's just the beginning. Is a, a strong message of confidence、um, in the Chinese market. In the whiskey segment, number two,、uh, you have now a lot of people who are working here.、Uh, hopefully, it will become a, a, a destination for tourism, and it will accelerate and play its part as well in terms of tourism. And likewise,、uh, two things: maybe in China, it will really help elevate, I think, the the whiskey、uh, market,、mm -hmm. and、uh, at some point as well globally,、uh, we intend to bring Chinese whiskey to the world. I know wine and whiskey industry is a kind of traditional industry, but I heard you are also going through a digital transition. What does this mean, and how are you making such transition? You're right、uh, to underscore the fact that、um, uh, wine and spirits are a very traditional,、uh, ancestral uh, uh, products. But at the same time,、um, uh, it's one of the most innovative industries as well. The company is also undergoing a, a digital transformation, and by the way, China is at the forefront of that、uh, transformation.、Uh, we're leveraging uh, basically um, data and technology、uh, by developing algorithms and,、uh, in, in fact, investing in artificial intelligence to become a lot more efficient. In terms of、uh, marketing efficiency, in terms of promotional efficiency,、uh, the more we have the data,、uh, the more、uh, we become、uh, efficient in our investment strategies. Latest data from the National Bureau of Statistics shows that new home prices in China declined in November. This was observed in 70 major cities, where both new and second-hand home prices decreased on a monthly basis.
In first-tier cities such as Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou and Shenzhen, new home prices slightly dropped by 0.3% compared to the previous month. Among these cities, Guangzhou witnessed the largest decline of 0.9%, while Shanghai saw a modest increase of 0.6%. In second-tier and third-tier cities, new home prices fell 0.3 and 0.4 percent, respectively. The price of pre-owned homes in the first-tier cities also faced a decline, with prices dropping by 1.4 percent. China has expanded its relaxation of home buying criteria and applied the easing measures to cities such as Beijing and Shanghai. The two mega cities have reduced down payments and cut mortgage rates to support demand for first home purchases and upgraded housing. The lowest down payment ratio for first homes in Beijing has been reduced to 30% and for second homes to 40%, while the maximum term for mortgage loans has been extended from 25 to 30 years. A new policy for commercial personal housing loans will also be implemented from Friday. The World Bank says China's growth is projected at 5.2% in 2023, predicting a stabilizing momentum in the near future. A reporter sat down with Eliza Maliva, World Bank lead economist for China, to discuss highlights of China's economic development this year and its outlook for the future. Hello, Ms. Miliva. Thanks for joining us. We know that the World Bank has just released a report on China's economic development in 2023, which anticipates China achieving its growth target. Uh, what do you think are some of the factors propelling this growth? Uh, yes, so this year China's economy saw a rebound from the relatively weak growth we observed last year during the pandemic. And the rebound this year was driven uh, to a large extent by household demand for services as people stayed, stayed at home last year or the, during the pandemic in general, now there was a pent-up demand for uh, things like travel, um, restaurants, entertainment, uh, tourist sites in China. So that supported the recovery. And also the report highlights how fiscal policy have helped ease the local government's financing constraints. Uh, and with the central government now planning more proactive fiscal policy in the coming year, uh, what implications does this hold for the overall economic recovery? This is important the, at a time when local, many local governments, not all of them, but many face financing constraints, having the support of the central government, the financial support, where debt remains on the balance sheet of the central government while the funds are used by local governments to support the, the China's recovery is very important. And I also noted that the report also acknowledges uh, the rapid growth in China's renewables, especially in its solar and wind capacity, which both continue to reach um, to set record highs. So what do you think are some of the factors contribute to that rapid boom? One reason for this rapid growth that we observe in this recent years is that the sector has become increasingly competitive with the rest of, uh, of the sector that depends on fossil fuels to generate power. Because it's so expect, uh, competitive, of course, it's gaining market share. Most importantly, energy market reforms have helped. Um, a few years ago, China committed to uh, create a unified national power market. Last year, uh, the National Development and Reform Commission issued, uh, again, a new set of guidelines for a national unified power market system. In, in provinces where renewable resources are abundant, uh, they can generate power using these renewable sources and then this power can be traded to provinces that 
lack such a renewable energy capacity. And when this market is unified and provinces are able to trade across borders, that helps, of course, uh, increase the market share of renewable energy. And another one of the key takeaways in China's Central Economic Board Conference is China's commitment uh, to spurring its domestic demand. But what do you think should be done in this regard to achieve this goal? So the Economic Work Conference an announced guidance on, on reforms to improve market access, to improve the enforcement of the rule of law, uh, and, and these, are, these are structural measures to improve the business environment in the country. So they are, of course, the, the right announcements, but I think what investors are looking for in China is what specific measures will be implemented to follow through on this guidance, not just the top-level guidance. And of course, th these are important measures. And if implemented successfully, we expect that uh, um, business confidence will improve in China. All right, thanks for your insights. We really appreciate it. Still to come. The state administration of foreign exchange has announced the expansion of pilot programs to facilitate cross-border trade and investment in six provinces and cities including Shanghai, Jiangsu, Guangdong, Beijing, Zhejiang and Hainan. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN. China unveiled new measures on Friday to further expand high-level opening up. The State Administration of Foreign Exchange has announced the expansion of pilot programs aimed at facilitating cross-border trade and investment. This expansion will cover six provinces and cities, including Shanghai, Jiangsu, Guangdong, Beijing, Zhejiang, and Hainan. As part of the initiative, the disbursement process for foreign exchange funds related to current accounts will be streamlined in the designated pilot zone. Additionally, foreign enterprises operating in these pilot areas will benefit from simplified procedures for reinvestment activities. The transport channels, known as the three direct links, ensure the free flow of commerce, flights and mail between the Chinese mainland and Taiwan. The route was formally established on this day 15 years ago. Sun Ziyuan has more. Formally opened on December the 15th, 2008. The three direct links were unilaterally closed by Taiwan in 2020 following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic and are yet to resume operations at full capacity. Travel across the small mini three-links passenger route resumed in January, allowing people to travel between the Chinese mainland and the Qingmen, Mazu and Pinghu Islands. But the transport routes to the main island of Taiwan is still limited. Only by returning to the common political basis of the 1992 consensus can cross-street relations be fundamentally improved and the spillover effects of the three direct links across the streets be continuously expanded so that more people on both sides of the streets, especially those in Taiwan, can enjoy the benefits of the peaceful development of cross-street relations. Taiwan's general election is set to be held in January, and people on the both sides of the Taiwan Straits hope the winning party will change the current predicament, strengthen exchanges, and expand the spiral effect of connectivity. 
Direct flights and ferries between the Chinese mainland and Taiwan are yet to resume operations at full capacity. However, that hasn't dimmed people's hope that both sides of Taiwan Straits can enjoy the benefits of peaceful development. Sun Ziyuan, CGTN, Beijing. Now for more discussions on the latest economic data from China, we're joined by Daniel Zipser, senior partner at McKinsey and Company. Daniel, great to have you on the show. Um, so what are the key takeaways from the most recent economic data? What are um, your expectations for the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter? Having me and very excited to share with you. We got the result this morning uh, on the November data. And I think the update is that we are where we were in the previous months. So all basically the results of the second half are relatively similar, showing a gradual recovery, but it's not seeing a very substantial change or, or a higher number. Retail sales grew double digit in November, but that was primarily driven by a rather weak 2022. So if you compare it with 2021, I think not a lot new in 2021 beyond a gradual steady recovery. Now, given the predicted long-term growth potential for the retail market in China, how do you foresee this trend impacting the overall economic outlook for the country in the upcoming years? Yes, I think this is an ec excellent point and an incredibly important point. If you look back at the last, last 10 years, the last 10 years, the GDP growth was to 60% driven by domestic consumption. So retail sales will continue to be the number one item to watch when it comes to economic growth in the mid to long term. So what specific measures do you think China can undertake to further stimulate consumer demand and enhance domestic consumption going forward? The, the Chinese consumer per se is very healthy. Uh, what I mean by that is we have on a nationwide level actually steady unemployment, um, steady employment vis-a-vis um, the time even pre prior to the pandemic crisis. Uh, we also continue to see income cr increases uh, by 6% this year. Um, what has been hindering a higher uh, growth rate in terms of retail sales is that people are saving. And the saving rate in 2023 yet again has been higher than in the past. So anything which is basically driven to unleash people to spend rather than to save will also support future consumption growth in 2024 and beyond. And the number one item to do that is to actually bring back the consumer sentiment, that people are confident in the economic prospects, uh, that people are confident in the stability uh, of being in China and working in China, in China long-term employment and long-term prospects in terms of um, salary increases. If that is happening, people will start to use the money which is today on their bank accounts to actually drive domestic consumption. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your insights. Really appreciate your time. Daniel Zipser, senior partner at McKinsey and Company for us. The 20th China International Finance Forum concludes in Shanghai on Friday. This year's theme is New Era, New Finance, New Opportunity. The forum brought together senior financial regulators, leaders from commercial banks and companies, and industry experts to discuss various topics with a particular focus on the digital transformation of the financial industry. The recently concluded Central Economic Work Conference also emphasized the importance of financial institutions providing greater support for the digital economy and scientific and technological innovation. 
In line with this, China's commercial banks are gradually increasing their investment focus on the sci-tech sector. Industry research conducted on 18 large commercial banks reveals that investments in the technological industry witnessed a nearly 8.4% year-on-year increase in 2022. The two-day China International Finance Forum closed on, in Shanghai on Friday. Our reporter Chen Tong sat down with one of the vice chairperson from European Banking Authority, one of the keynote speakers, to get his insights on the global economic outlook next year. We know the global economy is still facing some challenges. What's your predictions of the economic performance next year? Where we, as uh, from a European side, uh, hope that uh, we will go in a more confident uh, area uh, where we can stabilize the expectations also in political terms. But on the other hand, of course, we have some issues on uh, also in, on, on instability in economic terms. Um, we, in Europe, we are facing at the moment uh, a, a period of uh, this inflation uh, steered by the European Central Bank. We hope uh, that um, uh, via the uh, clear policy of the European Central Bank, inflation can be stabilized uh, next year and uh, that the, eff the economic effects on the real economy will not too be hard. Uh, but on, uh, of course, uh, the next year will be challenging. I noticed the Statistics Office of the European Union says China's trade with the European Union dropped by over 10% in the first three quarters of the year. Do you think the decline will likely to continue in the new year? We don't hope that the decline will, uh, will continue, but uh, of course this is a post-pandemic issue, uh, the interruption of transport chains and so on, and uh, we have to build up new uh, confidence uh, and trust uh, that all this change can uh, operate again and can, uh, we have to reopen our windows again. That is a very important precondition also to intensify trade relations. We know the Central Economic World Conference was held in Beijing this week and Beijing has sent a very clear signal that it wants financial stability. How do you think China's financial stability will benefit Europe and the whole world? The message is well received that uh, China wants uh, to be part of an integrated world uh, and uh, China is the uh, second uh, largest economy of the world and therefore it's, uh, it, it affects the whole world what happens here in China and of course we're developing also uh, the difficulties of China especially in the real estate sector and the uh, impact on financial stability but uh, so far what we have seen is a very professional uh, way to fix this problem so we hope China will succeed. To Europe, the European Central Bank on Thursday decided to keep its key interest rates unchanged. ECB President Christian Lagarde warned of a possible temporary pickup for, of the region's inflation, though it has dropped in recent months. The Governing Council today decided to keep the three key ECB interest rates unchanged. While inflation has dropped in recent months, it is likely to pick up again temporarily in the near term. According to the latest Eurosystem staff projections for the euro area, inflation is expected to decline gradually over the course of next year before approaching 
our 2% target in 2025. China now has more branded coffee shops than the United States. Our Li Jianhua looks at the reasons for the rising demand for a caffeine kick. Everybody knows that China is traditionally a tea-drinking country. But how about coffee? Is this as popular in China as it is elsewhere in the world? Starbucks dominates the world's coffee market, but in China, a new brand recently knocked them off the top spot. And their success says a lot about coffee culture in China. Starbucks operates over 6,500 stores in China. Locking Coffee, a homegrown brand founded in 2017, overtook Starbucks in June 2023 and became the largest coffee chain in China with 10,000 stores. But wait! In June 2020, Locking was delisted from the Nasdaq because of accounting fraud, for which the company had to pay a penalty of 180 million US dollars. So how did the tables turn and how did Locking manage to capture China's heart? First, who drinks coffee in China? The earliest coffee housing record was set up in 1836 by a Danish person in southern China's Guangzhou. It was called by the Chinese then as black wine. But it was only when millennials and later Gen Z became the main consuming group that coffee, especially freshly ground coffee, became a leading beverage. Coffee's market value is expected to exceed 30 billion US dollars by 2025. And Lucking is dominating that market with cheap, innovative and fun products mainly appealing to Gen Z. 80% of coffee drinkers are aged between 20 and 35 and they either drink it to wake up or to socialize with friends. Unlike Starbucks, which provides a cozy and comfortable environment to sit and chat, Lucking's stores are usually quite small and are more... Here we go, grab and go. Coffee culture has also embraced the digitalization. Consumers order from mobile apps so that drinks are ready when they arrive and they can also get them delivered to their workplace. And you can get your coffee anywhere at any time. The Chinese market's love of innovation has embraced Luckin's co-branding partnerships. In September, the company introduced a liquor-flavored latte together with China's most high-end alcohol brand, Maotai. That has captured many young Chinese commuters' hearts. On launch day, over 5 million cups were sold, and that single-day turnover exceeded $13 million. Can they stay on top? Well, who knows? In the lightning speed of change in the Chinese consumer market, you always need to stay ahead of the game. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. I'm Jovan Nimberg in Beijing. Stay with us.